The Speaking of Cults podcast is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from it is at the user's own risk. The views, information, or opinions expressed by the host and guests are solely those of the individuals involved and do not constitute medical or other professional advice. Hello and welcome to the Speaking of Cults podcast. This is our first episode with the new name. It is basically the Sensibly Speaking podcast with a new name, new brand, new images, and that sort of thing, but basically a new focus. We are going to be working very, very diligently on discussing cults, coercive control, and how that manifests across a number of areas in our lives, and what we can do about it. This is a podcast about doing something about these situations, not just watching them, ridiculing them, laughing at them, or otherwise being entertained by culty situations. They are certainly interesting, they are certainly fascinating, and they are certainly something that we will be discussing in detail on this podcast. But I wanted to kind of hit the ground running here by letting everybody know that this podcast is about help. It is about recovery. It is about doing something about the situation of people being stuck in and escaping from coercive situations. Now, those situations can be domestic situations. Those situations can be gang or group situations. Or people can even be involved in the awfulness of human trafficking. And the way that that happens is through coercive control. So that's sort of the glue that combines or binds all of this together is coercive control. And it's a theme we'll be returning to over and over again. So welcome to the show. I'm very, very happy that you are here, and I hope that you will get something out of this. We have a lot to cover in this first episode of the new podcast. Um, I've got a little outline here of things, and some of the first things I wanted to say were that it has been nothing but a, a privilege and honor to be podcasting for so many years and helping people in the way that I've been able to do. Um, and I mean that. It's really an honor to be able to do this work and to and to put myself out here and put my own experiences and education out there and do so in an effort to try to help anybody who needs it. Whether you are somebody who has escaped from your own coercive, culty situation, whether you have family or friends who are trapped or stuck and you don't know what to do, well, this podcast is exactly the right place for you to have landed. Um, now, and there is already uh, in our past of the Sensibly Speaking podcast, there have been hundreds of interviews and discussions about all of these topics. And again, we'll be moving moving forward into the future, doing even more directed and focused work on this. Um, and I also wanted to initiate or, or talk about a kind of a change that's happening in terms of, well, what is this? What, what, what am I trying to do with this? Well, see, I am now offering consultation services to people who need it, uh, whether, again, you are somebody who is trapped in a cult, has escaped from a cult, or culty coercive situation, or you need to help somebody who's stuck in one and you don't know what to do. Well, all of the advice and education that I offer on this channel is all in the direction of 
helping. And if you need more focused or personalized attention, then you can contact me and you and I can work together, whether I can help you, guide you, assist you um, in, in a, in a post-cult you know, direction or whether you need some help getting somebody out of that situation. You can contact me via my website or the uh, email address listed below, uh, askchrisshelton at gmail.com, and we can get in touch. And the entire purpose of all of this is to, um, again, offer assistance or help to uh, to people out there. So, um, so I want to highlight that as a service that I offer and uh, something that you can take advantage of. And I think you'll find that uh, in terms of um, you know, uh, payment or compensation or whatever uh, for me that, that you'll find that um, I come pretty uh, economical. Okay. Um, now, uh, let's just go ahead and get into the beef and meat of all of this because I don't want to just diddle-dally around uh, talking about this, that, and the other thing. We are in a new year. This is a new beginning. This is a new time, and I am very, very uh, excited about it. Uh, so what are we talking about when we're speaking of cults? What is a cult? What, are, what is a destructive cult, if we're going to be even a little bit more precise in our wording? Because the word cult is kind of a word that is all over the place. And so I thought I would start by sort of nailing down some basics and sort of talking a bit about, in this episode, what are the fundamentals that we're dealing with when we talk about cults and coercive control and recovery and that sort of thing. Let's actually go into the details of this and sort of see where we are and what our understanding of all this is. It's very important in exposing abusive behavior or talking about controversial, contentious issues like religion and faith and belief and dedication and loyalty and devotion. These are very, very strong, uh, strongly emotional, strongly ethical questions and subjects and things that people spend an awful lot of time and an awful lot of energy dedicating themselves to. So it probably is a good idea for us to define our terms, nail down what we are talking about exactly so that we're on the same page. So that when I say destructive cult and you hear destructive cult, we're thinking and talking about the same things, not different weird ideas about this that unfortunately run rampant in our society. We... Um, Yes, we have. There are many criticisms I could lob right now at the media and at at various infotainment efforts and things like that. But they don't get, all get it wrong. Uh, not by any stretch. There's an awful lot of amazing and very useful information out there. But cults are now a topic of cultural fascination for us, and so there is an awful lot of misinformation and even. Um, what you might call disinformation, purposefully put out information that is just wrong about cults and coercive control and how it all works. And uh, even the cults get involved in this. They want to put it false information or, or stir the pot or put confusing information out there for people. So I think it's probably a good idea that we review our basics to start with, um, since that's what we're going to be speaking so much about. 
Now, cult, if we look at something that all of us have access to and can check out, we can look at something like Wikipedia. And the term cult, as it's defined here, is not too bad. It says that in most contexts, the word cult is pejorative, which means it's sort of got a negative connotation to it. But I will go out of my way to talk about destructive cults. When I talk about cults, I'm not talking about your local Boy Scout troop or a movie group or people who are fascinated by cooking or something yet that get very, you know, kind of culty. And we're not talking about cult classic movies where people, you know, a small group of people can become very fanatical and devoted to a movie. There's nothing particularly destructive going on there. And it's destruction that is key to the entire principle of cults as I talk about them. So we use the term destructive cults. We can also use the term high control group, authoritarian group, coercive group. Uh, there, you know, we can define or describe these groups in lots and lots of different ways, all of them with this negative slant. Because when we're talking about destructive cults, we're talking about groups that are not meant or intended to help you. They only say words and have imagery and branding and, and uh, whatnot that looks like it's trying to help you or help the world at large. But this is by nature deceptive. Um, by its by its by its very core nature, cults are deceptive. Um, so here we have a term which actually right away uh, Wikipedia gets it wrong, where they say that cult is a term for a relatively small group, which is typically led by a charismatic and self-appointed leader who tightly controls its members requiring unwavering devotion to a set of beliefs and practices which are considered deviant, parentheses, outside the norms of society. All right, so there are two problems with that definition. First off, cults are not always relatively small groups. And to think of a cult as a something that exists in people's basements or outside in wooded glades uh, where they sacrifice to Baal or, or Beelzebub or something uh, would be to limit your thinking very, very much because you have to understand that cults can be quite large. Lots and lots of people can become devoted to a fanatical cause just as much as small groups of people can. It is it is a when we use the term destructive cult, we are talking about a group that has, like it says, like they correctly get in the definition here, tightly controls its members, requiring unwavering devotion to a set of beliefs and practices. That is all true. The beliefs and practices do not have to be deviant in nature, though, in order for it to be a destructive cult. Any idea, any philosophy, anything that you can imagine can be utilized by a destructive cult leader to corrupt the minds of his or her followers. And it is the nature of the relationship between the leader and the followers and the nature of the beliefs, the, the, the fanaticism of the beliefs, the dedication to the beliefs that 
really are more characteristic of what we're looking for when we're talking about destructive cults. Because even fanatical devotion to a good cause, a charitable cause, can itself become destructive. One loses sight of one's principles and morals and the bigger picture. One could, you could think about cults as groups or activities which hyper-focus the, individ- the followers or the members' attention to such a degree that nothing else in their lives is as important or, as, or even focus it to such a degree that they are unwilling or unable to even think critically anymore about the group or subject that they're part of and they're fanatically devoted to. You actually, the further down a belief spectrum or dedication uh, or loyalty, you could say, to a cause a person goes, the farther down the spectrum a person goes, the less able they are to be skeptical, critical, or actually think intelligently about that topic because they're so devoted to it, because they're so, they're so fanatical about it. Um, and we see shades of this around cults of personality and celebrities where people become fanatically devoted to an individual. Uh, the word fan, as in a celebrity's fans, uh, that word is short for fanatic. Uh, and we don't really want fanaticism in our lives if we want to lead sane, rational lives. We don't not want to have really any aspect of our lives really shouldn't be uh, so committed to a cause or a belief set that we become fanatics. That's where we as individuals um, maybe start losing the plot. But I might possibly be getting ahead of myself a little bit here. So, um, so in defining cults and looking at definitions of cults but the and it's really any situation relationship or group where an individual is subjected to deception and coercive control is what we would call a culty situation right so kind of it's it's a little looser of an idea it's not tied to a belief set you don't have to be tied down to a specific set of beliefs in order to be stuck in a culty situation. Uh, it's not the beliefs that matter so much as the codependency and the and the fanaticism or the dedication and loyalty. Um, and this is why we can talk about uh, domestic violence situations or abusive partner situations the same way we can talk about culty situations. The codependency is there, the, um, the coercive control is there, and the deception is there. And these are the crucial components of what we look at as destructive cults. And there's even more of a detailed breakdown of this we're going to get to in a minute. But I just wanted to give more of a broader overview of what are we talking about. We're talking about individuals who lead groups that are deceptive by nature, that do not offer informed consent, that utilize coercive and controlling methods, uh, actually the, the coercive control, isolation, manipulation, and control. Those are the three elements of coercive control. And any group or leader or individual who utilizes those elements to control their followers and create a codependent relationship with them, there's your cult. That's it. That's the simplicity of it. And you notice that it doesn't have anything to do with religion or religious beliefs. It doesn't have anything to do with ideology necessarily. In other words, 
any group, any group at all formed around almost any cause at all can become a destructive cult if these deceptive, coercive tactics come into play. And this can happen anywhere. This can happen in a martial arts dojo. This can happen at a cooking class that you attend. This could happen at an acting class that a person attends. And in fact, there are documented cases of every one of these things multiple times turning into destructive cult situations because the leader takes full advantage of the power dynamics, you could say, that he or she holds over their followers. And when the followers go along with this and contribute to it and become codependent, then you have a truly destructive cult situation. Um, So any set of beliefs can become corrupted to be pushed in this direction. Any set. Doesn't matter. So I want to remove from your thinking the idea that cults focus on deviant behaviors because they don't always focus on deviant behaviors. Sometimes cults focus entirely on behaviors that people very readily agree to as moral and pure and good. Uh, protecting children, um, education, um, social or culture war issues or values. All of these have cultic spectra, you could say, right, where people become too involved in this to the degree that they no longer are able to really think rationally about their involvement with this activity or group, and they become controlled by it. Those are key, key principles for what we talk about here on this podcast when we are speaking of cults. Um, It's about abuse and damage, which is not wanted and isn't fully understood by the victims, right? One of the things about destructive cults that is uh, true from one to the other to the other to the other is that nobody signed up for what they end up getting. Nobody went into this group thinking This is what was going to happen to them. There were curves, there were lies, there were deceits uh, that were communicated to the victims, to the members, in order to get their agreement, in order to get them to commit in the first place. And they thought they were going down road A when the cult leader or leadership always was aware of the fact that actually they're really going down road B. And that is, that's, that is super, super crucial to understanding the nature of these groups. Um, now, there are uh, patterns of behavior and there are uh, characteristics we can look at with a group to help us determine whether we're looking at a destructive cult or not. Um, and yeah, so first off, why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of these characteristics. Um, We have discussed these in the past on this podcast, but again, this is the kind of thing that bears repeating and looking at again and again, because there's a lot of characteristics here, and each one of them may or may not manifest in a group, but if there are a majority of these characteristics, then we very likely have a group that is uh, problematic in the extreme. And if you can remove from your thinking when going over this the idea that this has to be religious-based or faith-based in order for it to be a cult, then you will have a much broader, bigger picture of where these characteristics might apply. 
but we need to be clear about something. Not everything is a cult. And not every bad group or, or ill-intentioned group or destructive group or activity that people engage in is a cult. Not everything is. And this is a word that tends to be overused and thereby abused itself because people will apply it to things they don't agree with, to things that they simply have a problem or issue with themselves, or because um, they have false information about it, right? They think that it's just based on, you know, some group that has wacko, strange beliefs that I don't really agree with and that don't conform with mainstream beliefs, and therefore it's a destructive cult. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. So what are we looking at? Well, you can, this is a, a checklist that was put together many years ago by Drs. Yanya Lalich and Michael Langoni. And this was published in a book called um, Take Back Your Life, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships, back in 2006. And here is our checklist. And again, it's not a matter of if you check all the boxes, it's clearly a cult. Context is always, always the thing that's going to help you determine the truth or falseness of something. Uh, because uh, things can be true in one set of circumstances and completely false in another set of circumstances. It all depends on the context. This is, a, this is an important principle in, in identifying cults, uh, is the context of the situation in which the cult, you know, or the group that we're talking about exists. Um, okay, so let's get to the characteristics. The group displays excessive zealous, excessively zealous, and unquestioning commitment to its leader, and whether he is alive or dead, regards his belief system, ideology, and practices as the truth, with a capital T, or in, in other words, as the law. Okay, so this is our first characteristic. Uh, excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment. There is never, let me introduce you to a principle that I've found over the years that is certainly true for me and I think is very, very useful. There is no such thing as positive zealotry. There is no such thing as good, unquestioning commitment. You should always have questions, and you should always be willing and able to ask questions of any group or activity you are ever part of. And if you cannot, if you feel that you are kept from asking questions, that you are not allowed to ask questions, that, that uh, somehow questioning is dangerous to your status in the group, you are already in a group of questionable intent. Because any group that is above the boards and transparent and ethical is above the boards and ethical and transparent. And they are that means they are willing to answer any and all questions about themselves. Now, obviously, time and context matter, right? And, you know, that doesn't mean that any group that I go marching into with a camera and start filming and asking all my questions, and if they don't respond positively, ah, it's a cult. Again, right? Context. Um, we need to, you know, approach these things rationally. But 
if you're part of a group where questions where uh where you know well we're going to get to more of this but because uh, there's another characteristic of this that that goes even more into detail about this but this business of excessive zealotry and unquestioning commitment is something to watch for because it's never never a positive or good indication i i just don't happen to think that that is the case and um in other words um you should always maintain your freedom of thinking, your freedom of thought, and belief. And those are your rights as a human being. So no one can really take those away from you, but you can be convinced to give them up and think that they are not necessary and that you have found the ultimate of ultimate belief systems. And if you commit fully to it, and the more you commit to it, the more return you're going to get, this kind of thing, This is where uh, we as human beings uh, consistently and continually, almost habitually, make uh, big mistakes. So, um, So this first point is a little important. Questioning doubt and dissent, this is the next characteristic of destructive cults. Questioning doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Okay, so here's our next point on this. And, um, and again, you should always be willing and able to ask questions. If you're not willing to ask questions, then I would say that there's a problem right there. Um, and if you're not able to ask questions, then we have an external problem where maybe somebody is suppressing or discouraging you or threatening you in asking any questions about what's going on or finding out the truth of what's going on or clarifying the situation. If these things are being discouraged or punished, then you are in a group that is of uh, highly questionable intent. Now, the third characteristic on our list here is mind-altering practices. Mind-altering practices such as meditation, chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, and debilitating work routines are used in excess and serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leaders. All right, so any group could ex- could engage in disciplinary measures in order to keep its members in line. And if this means that there's some, you know, physical labor or hard work or dedication or, you know, go back and learn your basics or something like that, you know, okay. But if it's excessive and if we're talking about mind-altering techniques such as meditation and chanting, etc., Going and memorizing, you know, scripture for hours and hours on end is probably not really a very good uh, thing to be doing. It's mind-altering. It puts people into altered states of psychological awareness where they are open to or become more open to suggestion and control. And that's the entire point of these practices is to... Uh, exert that level of uh, control over a person to the point where they are no longer able to dissent or ask questions and that sort of thing Uh, and suppress doubts. Oh, you have doubts about the leader? Well, you know, in a group like um, Scientology or a group 
uh, many, many groups actually, Nexium actually used to pull this same thing. If you have doubts or concerns or problems with the leadership, we're not going to answer your questions or address your concerns. Instead, you're going to go into a room and you're going to write down on, on reams of paper all of your misconduct. All of the things that you're up to, that you're doing wrong, that are causing you to have these doubts about our leader, our dear and true leader who is pure and loyal and full of nothing but love and affection for you. How dare you question him? How dare you? You have crimes. You have moral transgressions. You have sinned. And your sins are what are causing all of this. If any of this sounds at all familiar, this is cultic control in action. And this is exactly the kind of thing that fits into this characteristic that we're talking here. All right. Now, another characteristic is that the leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think or act or feel. For example, members must get permission to date or to change jobs or to get married. And leaders prescribe what types of clothes to wear, where to live, whether or not to have children, how to discipline children, and so forth. All right? Lots and lots of rules and regulations and control over the various aspects of your life as a member. Now, uniformity and conformity are crucial to any group. Any group at all has to have rules and guidelines and often has outward signs of dress or conduct or speaking or writing that identify them as those specific group members. We all have groups that we're part of where this is true. Um, where, where it becomes culty is where the degree of control that is being exerted over the members is, um, it goes too far basically. It, it's too much. And the degree of conformity demanded of the group members is really what it's all about. It's, it's ramping up that degree of conformity. You must go along with the flow of what we are doing and what we are about, and you have to suppress your internal individual characteristics or beliefs or ideas to go along with what everybody else is doing. We all can't have everything we want all the time. That would never be the point. We all have to conform or comply with society and with our laws and with regulations. But when those laws or when those regulations consist of, of personal freedoms being taken away from you and, um, you know, and where conformity becomes more important than you know, individualism, then we start having issues or problems. And this is, again, just one characteristic of many that can, that can sort of point to whether a group is taking advantage of its membership or is going too far in its controls. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah. Okay. And it's especially when you're down to, you know, what job you can have, what you can wear and what you can't wear, who you can date, you know, who you can be friends with, who you, who it is okay to be in business with. When a group or its leaders are telling you or dictating these things to you, uh, you're probably involved in something that's not so great. All right. 
Now, here we have uh, the next characteristic. The group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders, and members. For example, the leader is considered the Messiah or a supreme being or, or a special being or an avatar or the group and its leaders are on a special mission to save humanity. There's, this is all about status. And status is crucial to membership in a destructive cult. There is internal status that is always being vied for or fought over or contested because people want to become closer and closer to the leader. And there is almost always some kind of structural or social hierarchy in place in a cult with levels and ranks and ratings and this kind of thing. This is very, very common. Uh, hardly ever is every is everybody in a destructive cult on the same place, on the same page, on the same plateau of importance and status. There are often levels of this, and these are used by the leadership to control the members and get them at each other rather than you know looking at or being critical of the leadership. But this special exalted status is even more important than not only for the internal control, but for creating an us versus them paradigm or model, right, or idea. In other words, you want the lead, you want the members of your group as a destructive cult leader, you want your membership to consider themselves very, very super important and very, very super special because of their membership in the group. Simply because of that. It has nothing to do with what you're actually doing. It just has to do with the fact that you are part of this group that you have a special or exalted status. And whether this is that you are the special group of people who have been chosen by God to be saved forever and into eternity, or whether this is the special exalted status of being chosen by the alien ambassadors who are going to take us away in their spaceship and uh, give us eternal life and ultimate wisdom, uh, both of these are equally crazy. And they are crazy because no human being has that level of status and importance, but cults are all about ego feeding and ego stroking. This is a major, major, major part of any destructive cult activity uh, because it's necessary to do this in order to, to create the next characteristic, which is the group has a polarized us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. If an individual can convince his followers or members of his group that they are all the special chosen people, it's, it's nothing to then step over into us versus them, where we're special, we are chosen, and everybody else who is not us is, an, is another, is, is different from us, is lesser than us. That's always part of the picture with destructive cults. This is this is such a hardbound rule. I I don't know that I can think of a single exception to this. The us versus them is is absolutely core to cultic thinking and cultic uh, modeling. Okay, um, because this is what instills such intense loyalty on the part of the membership for their leader and for the group itself. Well, I'm part of this special group. If I were to leave, I would no longer be a special, exalted, 
you snowflake, right? I'd never be this special person. And so I must be part of this group. I must conform with this group. I must go along with the discipline of this group. Even if the leader tells me to do things I don't really want to do and I, and I think they're harmful to me, I must do them because otherwise I won't be part of us. I'll be part of them. And they are bad. They are immoral. They are weak. They are criminals. They are whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Any, any pejorative you want to throw in there will, will fit as far as the cult goes because it's us versus them. All right. Um, and this also, of course, is wonderful for the cult leader to be able to continue to exert control over the members because they want to be led by this special leader who is keeping them in the special state of being where they are, you know, the chosen ones. All right. Uh, The leader, next characteristic here, the leader is not accountable to any authorities. Unlike, for example, teachers, military commanders, or ministers, priests, monks, and rabbis of mainstream religious denominations. And this is one of the crucial points of difference between a truly destructive cult and mainstream religion or institutions uh, which have oversight and regulations and rules um, and accountability. This, This point of accountability is, again, crucial. A cult leader or leadership, man, woman, group, doesn't matter, considers themselves completely unaccountable to anybody for anything. They are the ones who issue the moral pronouncements, the laws, the rules, the dictums that the group must follow. So the leader is the one who sets the rules. They don't have to live by the rules, and they don't have to follow any rules, and they don't have to be accountable to anybody for those rules, ever. And so the leader gets everything, and the followers tend to get almost nothing uh, because of this kind of thing. But this is where uh, a lot of a lot more control is entered in by the leader because they will often set up an internal system of justice or of rules. And if there are if those rules are broken, then there will be discipline. There will be punishments. This is the this is the justice system that they set up where they are always, or almost always, the uh, source of the justice, the source of the rules. And, uh, and this, again, sets them apart from them. Uh, so the followers never look to the leader as somebody who, um, well, they very rarely, I should say, look to the leader as someone who is bound by any sort of rules or laws including society's rules and laws. What that whole us versus them, we are the chosen ones, we are the special exalted people, that us versus them puts them in a position where mentally, psychologically, they feel they are superior to the outside world. And the outside world's laws and rules don't apply. Not in the same way, right? And this can become so bad that groups or certain destructive cults can even just completely ignore and eschew all the laws and say the laws don't, don't, don't say what they say. And you don't have to follow them. They don't apply to us. 
this kind of thing, right? So non-accountability is, is, is very, very crucial. And if there is accountability, if you are looking at a group or individual who does have to answer for his or her activities, who has to be licensed, who has to be regulated, who has to be under someone else's control, well, to that degree, they're not the infinite ultimate cult leader, right? Because they have to answer to somebody else. So it makes it much, much, much more difficult. There are still exceptions. And um, for example, you might find uh, licensed psychotherapists or licensed psychologists going completely off the rails, ignoring the ethical guidelines and strictures of their profession and engaging in culty, codependent, abusive behavior. Uh, this has happened. This has happened in lots of groups. You have what we call pseudo-therapeutic groups, which are not really offering therapy. They're offering some weird, bizarre, uh, you know, uh, system that the cult leader came up with. And it just so happens the cult leader is a uh, trained or licensed psychotherapist or a medical doctor or, or, or something that we actually look at in society with credentials. Maybe they have letters after their name, but you will find digging into their behavior that they are not following their rules. They're not following the regulations that they are supposed to, and they're off in unaccountability land. So, uh, again, context is everything here. Just because somebody has, you know, the apparency of being regulated or accountable doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And so, uh, so the details matter when it comes to things like this. All right, next characteristic we can look at here, and there are a number of them, and obviously this is not something you're going to be memorizing, but you can always go to my website, mncriticalthinking.com, and look at my uh, What is a Cult? page and it will and it has this whole checklist on it um and i will of course link to that in the show notes all right so the next characteristic here is that the group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary this may result in members participating in behaviors or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. For example, lying to family or friends, or collecting money for bogus charities, or, or, or. There could be a, a, a laundry list of things that people do that are highly unethical, immoral, or just straight up wrong. Uh, but they do it because they believe that the ends justify the means. This is a, a, a pattern of thinking that cults foster and encourage. Whatever is going to satisfy the cult leader, whatever is going to satisfy the cult's requirements, whatever is going to push forward or help or, you know, or assist the cult in any way is automatically thought of as a moral, good, righteous action. No matter what it is, whether you have to steal, lie, cheat, engage in fraudulent activity, or even hurt someone or kill someone, as long as it's for the good of the group, you get a pass. It's all good. It's In fact, this is the definition of good as redefined by the cult. And the cult leadership is if it's good for the group, it's inherently good. 
And if it's bad for the group or it in any way detracts from the group's goals and purposes or it detracts from the cult leader, it's automatically bad. This is absolutely crucial to understand as to how cults rewrite a person's moral foundations, their very concepts of right and wrong and good and bad. And if you control, as a cult leader, someone's concepts of right and wrong and good and bad, if you're the one who interprets what's good and bad for people, what's good and evil for people, then you control them. Because people want to be good. And they want to do good things. And if they think that killing someone is a good thing to do because it's righteous for the cause and it it helps the cult leader and and by that extension, it helps them personally, they'll do it. And they won't sit around counting the cost because the ends always justify the means. This This is cult logic 101. And um, and it's crucial to understanding why it is that cult members go so far off the rails, and sometimes how it happens so very fast, because the the the, the person's uh, very concepts of right and wrong and good and bad are being rewritten by the cult so that it fits the cult paradigm and society and family and friends. None of them matter, not compared to the cult. Uh, all right, and in terms of you know how do cult leaders get people to do this sort of thing? Well, they educate them, they brainwash them, or indoctrinate them. Uh, but they also have this next characteristic, where the leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and or control the members. Often, this is done through peer pressure and subtle forms of persuasion. I have covered in detail, and I know that we will cover in detail again, uh, the concept of influence and how it is that human beings are influenced. And social pressures are amongst the most powerful influencers that we have. Uh, If we are in a group of people and everybody around us is saying X equals Y, then we are going to feel compelled to agree that X equals Y, even if we don't agree with that. Even if we don't think X equals Y, we will agree more often than not, actually about three out of four times, three out of four people will do this, uh, even if they know X does not equal Y because of the social pressure. They will, they, people will doubt themselves. They will immediately question their own perceptions, their own um, interpretations of reality, and even their own morality. Uh, you know, am I a good person? If the group is going in one direction and they feel, oh boy, I don't know about this, right? They will immediately introvert and uh, this is what people tend to do. Uh, there are always exceptions to this, of course. Um, but in the main, uh, again, three out of four people will go along with blatantly false information that a group provides uh, simply because the rest of the group is conforming. Okay, So the leader knows that this group pressure and, the, and other tactics of inducing shame and guilt, for example, blaming the victim, right? It's always your fault. If you are a cult member and something is wrong or something has gone wrong with you or with your life, it's you. It's your fault. 
You're the one who screwed it up. You didn't apply the principles properly. You didn't believe hard enough. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't do the mantras correctly. Whatever excuse is given to you for why you are wrong, you're wrong. (laughs) That's the bottom line. Uh, Because the group and the cult leader can never be wrong. They can never be in error. So therefore, if there's a problem or an issue or a conflict, well, you better sort that out for yourself, Mr. Cult member, because it's on you. You're the reason that this is happening. You're the reason for the problem. And this always, um, yeah, anyway, and, and, and this can be done subtly or this can be done very, very overtly and very, very uh, blatantly in front of everybody. Uh, depends on what the cult leader uh, is doing and how the cult leader wants to go about inducing these feelings of shame and guilt. And they will use any principle, any means necessary, right? Whether they're going to use information from the uh, from your past, uh, from your present, whether they're going to uh, threaten your future, uh, however it needs to be done, whatever is going to work to get you as the cult member to comply and conform that's what's going to happen and this is uh this is again really crucial to um to the cult now it's not always by the way the cult leader who directs all of this often cult members will 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 put a lot of pressure on straying or doubtful or on the fence members to get off that fence and get back with the program. And they'll do this all on their own because they feel loyalty and and uh, and that sort of thing to the group. So it doesn't even take a cult leader directly ordering somebody to, uh, you know, to to the hot box or to the punishment or whatever, right, to, to, to the punishment stick, in order to have this happen. The, the members can do this amongst themselves and often do. All right, um, coming down the line here, we have subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends and radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group. This is where we see personality shifts and where we see um, this, this insistence that the cult is all and everything outside the cult is really nothing. It has no value at all. So family or friends or your job or your, or your hobbies or you know, activities you want to engage in outside of the cult are always devalued. Subtly, usually at first. It's not, it's not the case that you walk in on day one and by day two, you have to give up all your friends. That's, that is extremely rare and very, very ineffective. But it's a, it's a wearing away over, over time where the cult, through social pressures and through social acclamation, the cult members become your close friends and your relationships and, and what's important in your life. And they are constantly working on you to, to sort of cut ties with or move away from or devalue anything you had that isn't part of the cult. Um, again, this is usually a frog in boiling water sort of situation where it's done very slowly and very gradually to the point where the the, the, the uh, membership usually doesn't notice it's happening to them until suddenly one day they realize that they haven't seen their friend Joe, who they used to hang around with every weekend. They haven't seen him in months. 
because they've been so busy in the cult. They've been so busy with this new group, with this new activity, with this new relationship. They're in love now, and they've been so distracted, right? Uh, this kind of thing is uh, is very, very common, very common. and it's But it's actually an intended thing on the part of the group or the, or the, you know, again, this could apply to a domestic abuse survivor or domestic abuse as well, where a domestic predator is cutting ties or is, or is, or is cutting off the, their spouse or their partner from their friends and their family and other outlets because they want to control all the things that this person, that their victim, is seeing and hearing and thinking. They want total control over this person. It's, it's, it's a factor of this. It's called environmental or milieu control, if you want to get all fancy. And uh, basically, it just means they want to control every aspect of your life. And slowly but surely, they wear down your a person's defenses, and they wear down uh, their um, sort of their emotional ties and connections with these outside non-cult relationships, right? It's discouraged, and eventually, it's forbidden. But it, it starts off slowly and builds up over time is usually how that goes. Um, okay, the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. Now, this is interesting because it's not always true. And again, all of these are not always necessarily true. But uh, in general, it tends to be the case that cults are very, very interested in proselytizing, getting their message out there, saving the world, getting the faith out there, right? Propagating the faith. There's lots and lots of uh, expressions for this. Um, disseminating, promoting, you know, etc. Right? Um, but you, but but they're very, very keen usually to get other people on board. They want to grow the group, and they might have various measurements or means by which they're, they're they they measure this or keep track of this. Maybe it's number of members, or maybe it's how much money is coming in, or how many products they're selling. And this can look very, very business like even. Um, but that's. Uh, that, that tends to be a preoccupation with these groups is they're not satisfied with just having a few members or with their current size. They always want more. All right. Um, and along with that comes the next characteristic where the group is often preoccupied with making money. Uh, not all cults and not all cult leaders or uh, uh, what we might call human predators out there are interested in money. Some of them are in it for something else. They want power. They get off on control. They want influence. They want political influence. They want, uh, they want some other thing. But they want sex. This is often a, a thing that is uh, focus, uh, central to a cult leader's focus is, 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 is fulfilling their sexual appetites. But money tends to be a crucial, crucial point of attention and interest for cult leaders. And uh, even to the point of you know, being driven to distraction by it, where uh, the entire focus of the group becomes money. And they'll often have lots and lots of very rational sounding, very good reasons for needing all this money. But you'll notice over time that it's a constant pressure. 
and that punishments and uh, and incentivizing this in various positive and negative ways will be a a, a crucial focus of the group. Uh, so making money is uh, usually at the heart of these things. If not, there is some other focus which is just as intense, like sex or influence or power, etc. Um, Okay, last couple here. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Now, any member of any group has to be part of the group, and they have to spend time doing that. That's obvious. But here, the key word is inordinate amount of time. In other words, all your time or as much of it as you can, as the group can possibly suck out of you. Uh, they're constantly calling, constantly uh, nudging, pushing, driving their members for more and more dedication, more and more commitment, more and more participation. Uh, and this is uh, just another common point of these groups. Again, they can't control your whole life or control every aspect of it if they don't have you in their clutches. And so being there physically, being there online, being part of this activity, you know, consuming hours and hours of the cult leader's lectures or writings, spending uh, you know, all of one's free time down at the center or with the cult leader or figuring out ways to join up with the cult leader uh, for workshops and seminars and getaways and, and weekend retreats and all of these kind of things. This becomes absolutely, uh, it becomes a, a priority in the members' lives. Uh, and they will spend any amount of money and time and energy trying to to demonstrate their dedication and their loyalty to the group by being part of it as much as they possibly can. Um, this groups that encourage this, that push for this, that want this level of inordinate uh, uh, loyalty or dedication, they're a little culty, right? There's something wrong with that. It, it shouldn't be that any group that you're part of or any activity that you're part of dominates every aspect of your life or existence. I mean, if we want to be kind of bring this back to a, a more common sense statement, it's, you know, what what activity or group should you be dedicating every single second of your life to? None. There's nothing that, that, that requires that. Uh, and it shouldn't be that, and that any person is slavishly devoted in such a way. All right. Um, members are encouraged and or required to live or socialize only with other group members. And this, this goes hand in hand with uh, this last bit, right? You want, we want you down at the center all the time. We want you connecting with other group members all the time. We want you dating only other group members. We want you being friends only with other group members. And one tends to find that their, that their you know, fanatical level of commitment to the group tends to shun or push away friends and family, and the cult loves this, right? This is what they want. Uh, friends and family don't love this. They often are, you know, watching this from the sidelines and are horrified by it. But it, when they try to say something or do something about it, they tend to uh, make it worse because they attack the cult or they attack the cult leader or the belief set. And that just riles the cult member up even harder and makes them feel they have to dedicate themselves even more to the cult 
and its purposes and activities. Uh, this is often why family and friends need some outside advice on how to deal with this, because it's pretty counterintuitive uh, how you go about dealing with somebody who's stuck in one of these situations. You can't just talk them out of it in one day. And that's very, very frustrating for family and friends, uh, because they can see from the outside what's going on, and it looks like the this poor schlep is is being totally taken advantage of or is falling too deeply in line with this or is dedicating and you know a ridiculous amounts of time and energy and money to this and they're like hey man this doesn't look like it's really healthy for you hey i don't know that this is uh I'm a little concerned about this, right? Oh, shut up, mind your own business. I mean, you can get into, you know, full-blown arguments and and lose relationships overnight over this kind of thing. So it can be it can be quite touchy and quite, you know, members can become quite sensitive to this stuff. Um, and when family and friends are antagonistic and arguing and and being and ridiculing the beliefs or ridiculing the group or its leader, this will tend to drive the cult member further into the group and further into the situation where they will agree that they should only really be associating with other group members because, you know, we're the only safe ones. And it's, again, reinforcing the us versus them of the group. And finally, the last characteristic we have on our checklist here, the most loyal members, the true believers feel there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be (coughs) and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving the group. And this is the end result of totalist thinking in a totalist environment, is the group is all. The group is the total of my existence and nothing else matters. Okay, and this is on the part of the membership, right? The membership adopt this attitude, and this is the code. This is part of the codependency that we talk about. Uh, when I when I I've dropped that word many many times today, and I use it for a reason um, because the the members are just as much part of the problem of the relationship as the cult leader is. It's not that the cult leader is by himself sitting there on a podium you know, doing all this master manipulation and control, the followers have to actively be part of it too. And uh, now the now the crucial part here, of course, is that they are being deceived and lied to constantly in order to be part of it. And so so that's it's not a matter of I'm saying it's the followers' fault. And they're all, and they are fully responsible for having been lied to and deceived. That doesn't make any sense. But their commitment to the group and its causes is crucial to becoming a cult member and having all these things happen to you, right? Or happen to the person. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a little complicated, right? It's a little nuanced. But that's. Those are the characteristics that we look at with this. And uh, again, this is not necessarily um, not meant to be a cult scale or a definitive checklist. 
Um, it's an analytical tool that you can use, uh, right, to analyze a group and see what you think about it. And this is what I have found to be one of the most thorough and uh, reliable checklists or analytical tools I've found over all the years I've been doing this in order to really nail down whether you're looking at a destructive cult or not. Um, so, so that is vital. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about today um, in our fight and pushback against cults and, and speaking of cults and talking about why people become involved in cults are our emotional needs. Okay, we all have them. And this is something that I talk about frequently because it is uh, key to understanding why people fall into or get into destructive cults in the first place and why it is that they can stay blind to or make excuses and justifications and, and make up reasons why this group or this activity they're part of or this relationship they're stuck, you know, caught up in why it's so important, why it's so good, why it's so holy and righteous and, and justified and, and, and why they must be part of it um, has to do with how they get recruited and how people get recruited into these groups is through their um, unfulfilled emotional needs. Now, we all have emotional reactions. We have uh, in-the-moment reactions to things. We get mad, we get sad, we get bored, we get upset. We, you know, we have these reactions, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking here about emotional reactions. I'm talking about a longer-term situation of emotional needs. And we can categorize these in various ways, and I think once I start kind of going through a couple of them, you'll see immediately how these apply to cults and, and, these, and these, these sort of needy situations that we find ourselves getting stuck in. Uh, because they pretend to fulfill our needs, and we want our needs to be met. There is not one single human being walking around anywhere in the world, whether they're in China, Mongolia, Asia, Africa, South America, or Antarctica. Every one of them have emotional needs, and if those emotional needs are not being fulfilled, that person will be unsatisfied or unhappy with their life to that degree. This is what we chase. This is what we go through life uh, trying to fulfill, uh, right? Trying to fill our buckets. And we have a few of them. There are many of them. And, and, and every single individual is different in terms of how big the various buckets are of their emotional needs. In other words, I might have a heavy need for one and not so much of a need for another, whereas you may have... Uh, very different needs, but they're all going to be categorized or, or, or separated out in the same basic ways. We can draw broad categories of emotional needs. Um, so let's go over a couple of them, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. We all have a sense of community, a sense of need for friends, family, social networks, groups. We want to be part of things. We want to be part of a community. We want to have the support and help of a community, and we want to be able to contribute back to a community. And this is something every human being experiences, uh, whether it's just, you know, you want to have a few friends or whether you want to have lots of friends, big family, lots of, you know, community. 
Um, that need exists within all of us. And if we feel, for example, at some point in our lives, maybe we've been rejected in a relationship or we didn't get the job or we got fired or the family is having some row or dispute and we're sort of, you know, the black sheep right now or something like that, we can feel sad and upset about that. And we can feel like there's something crucial that is missing in our lives. And it is because community is important. And so when we are shunned or disconnected or pushed back or pushed away, that can hurt. And that can make us feel lonely and isolated and very, very alone. And people do not generally like to feel alone. They want to feel like they've been listened to and understood and that they're part of something bigger than themselves that they can be part of and contribute to. So this is our sense, our emotional need for community. And in those times in our lives where we are down and out, we're not feeling, you know, we're feeling pretty alone, that can be a time when a cult or an abusive personality or a predator can see that in us and take advantage of it by pretending to offer us community, pretending to offer us that understanding and that care and that support that we so need and want. They take advantage of that knowingly and premeditatedly. This is never an accident. When it comes to coercive control and the patterns of controlling behavior that that, uh, abusers and predators and cult leaders take part in, they are always doing it on purpose. That's very important to understand because any of us can have a bad day any of us can bat, can react badly to a situation or an individual and not necessarily put our best foot forward. And we can come off looking like or acting like a complete jerk. And that happens to all of us all the time. That doesn't make us cult leaders. It doesn't make us gaslighters. It doesn't make us narcissists or abusers. Narcissists and abusers and predators are people who do this on purpose and they do it over and over and over again. It's a repeating pattern of behavior that is uh, fundamental to an understanding of coercive control. It never is just in one off instance or even, you know, it would be dangerous to say, well, you abused me twice, therefore you're coercively controlling me. It's, it's not quite that, right? It's a premeditated, repeating pattern of behavior. And when a predator can see emotional needs being unfulfilled in a person, one of the ways that one of the fastest, easiest ways to get into that person's space or into that person's head and convince them that they need to become part of this group or they need what this group offers or what this cult leader offers is by pretending that they will fulfill those emotional needs. Okay, so that's the concept here, right? And community could be one example of this where a group of people will come and recruit an individual to become part of some group or some multi-level marketing scheme or some, you know, uh, join our cult, right? Join our group. 
uh, and and a bunch of them will come in and and laud the person and compliment them and tell them how wonderful they are and how great they are and how special and gifted they are. All of these characteristics we just went over, right? They will just they will just pile onto this person uh, to fulfill their sense of community. Oh, I found my people. Oh, this is what I've been looking for this whole time. Was you guys? I'm so accepted here. I'm so loved here. Sure, for as long as you conform, <laughs> right? So, uh, so love bombing can be can be part of this recruitment process, but it's all building on these emotional needs. If we didn't have these emotional needs, none of this would work. Let me give you another example of an emotional need that can be utilized in cult recruitment is um, uh, purpose, meaning, right? Achievement. We need to feel in our lives every, again, this is every human being you will ever meet. We all must feel that our life has some meaning. There's something we're doing this for. There's some purpose to it. There are achievements that we must feel we are accomplishing in order for us to feel happy, satisfied, fulfilled. And if we are not achieving our purposes or goals, then we feel left out. We feel unfulfilled. So a cult will pretend that it can help you achieve your goals or purposes or can give you meaning or purpose or uh, a sense of achievement, right? You're wandering around. I don't know what to do with my life. I have no purpose. I have no meaning. Well, I have one for you. (laughs) Here you go, right? And here you are now achieving your life goal of becoming the cult leader or achieving the same status of spiritual enlightenment as the cult leader or uh, the same degree of success as the cult leader or, 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 right? Whatever it is that is being sold to the person that they now feel they need to achieve. This is my new goal, my new purpose in life. Uh, or I have goals and purposes and I'm not achieving them, but now this group is going to help me achieve them, right? Nexium is going to empower me with the tools that I need so that I can achieve my goals, right? And I am on the path now of success. And that's what Keith is giving me, right? And that's why the cult leader becomes so important is because the unfulfilled emotional need of achievement or success or or uh, goals and purposes is now being fulfilled. Okay, that's just one other example, and I and I've tried to shoot with a broad brush there to to give the bigger picture idea of this. There are other emotional needs we have which can also be utilized in the exact same way. Uh, for example, a sense of self or identity. Many people walk around and they feel that they are not part of something big or important or useful or needful, and they want to be. And that's not just community, that's a sense of self. They, they feel like, they're, like there's something missing in their own identity or their own uh, sense of who they are, and they, and they want to fulfill that. And a cult will be more than happy to fill that need by... By, a, by giving you a cult identity. I am now a Scientologist. I am now a Jehovah's Witness. I am a witness for Jehovah. You know, I'm a, I'm a special person. I've got an identity now. I can, it's something that I can align my life around. 
And that over nothing at all, over having no identity or a or a fragile or weak identity or ego or feeling unsure about yourself or feeling like there's like there's something you should be doing or something you're supposed to be part of or 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 there this manifests in, in in hundreds of different ways for people. But if a cult can fulfill a sense of identity uh, or uh, ego. Right and and feeding the ego, uh, then it's a way. Right, it's very very easy to recruit people on that basis, uh, especially people who are very very concerned about it and feel very unimportant or feel very uh, un uh, attached to you know anybody else or even to themselves. Okay, um, so you know you can check out different uh models or different uh uh categories of emotional needs and draw your own conclusions on this but i wanted to bring this up as a as a point because it is crucial to understand this not only so that we understand how cult recruitment happens but also how cult retention happens why do people stay in these groups when it becomes kind of rationally obvious to them that the group is not on the up and up or is not fulfilling all of its goals or is somehow not doing what it says it's going to do, why would they stay? Because of their emotional needs. I want to remind everybody that these are emotional needs, not emotional wants or desires. We will, we will, we need to have these things in our lives. We don't want them. Uh, so that's, that's why they can be, they can drive our behavior. These emotional needs are the thing that actually propels us through life and gives our life meaning and gives our life direction. Yeah, our, our needs. Okay. So, um, and it's also key to understand that because when a person comes out of the cult, the cult was only pretending to fulfill those needs. And maybe it did to one degree or another, but it never really totally fulfills them. Because if it did, the person would be fulfilled and then they would see that they might not necessarily need the group so much and they might leave. So they're always on a balancing act. There's always this act being done in a cult where the leader doesn't want to give you everything you want. He just wants to give you enough to keep you on the hook keep you on board, right? Always wanting more, always wanting more. That is that is a formula for success for cult leaders is you never fulfill everything the, the followers want. You only give them enough that they will keep them coming back for more. And if you know anything about how slot machines work in Las Vegas and how gambling is tuned, you know that you only have to meet somebody's needs 50% of the time for them to continue to feed quarters into the machine, right? That's They only need to win 50% of the time or even less, right? It can even go down to 25% and they'll keep going. But there's a certain point where there's that make break where, okay, it's just on the edge. I'm not quite happy here. This isn't quite working for me and they'll leave. So you got to fulfill enough that they'll stay, but never all the way. When you come out of a cult situation, right, you got to look at this like all over again. You got to look at all these emotional needs and figure out what's fulfilled and what's not. And how do we, and, 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 and quick too, because the number one reason that people will go from one cult to another is because of these unfulfilled needs.
or even go back to the cult that they escaped from. Happens all the time. Uh, So understanding these emotional needs is a key way of keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself uh, in a place where you're the one in control of how you are going about fulfilling those needs. That's that's why I feel it's important to talk about these things. It's a self-awareness point. And the more self-aware we are about this, the more emotionally intelligent and emotionally aware we are of ourselves, the less others can take advantage of us. Because almost every single control tactic out there and manipulation tactic out there relies on your emotions. You are very, very rarely fooled in a rational way. You're very often fooled in an emotional way. So that's, again, why emotions are so important. It's, 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 it's how you armor yourself up against the world and, and against the predators who are in the world who are out there trying to take advantage of you. They exist, they are real, and they are on TV, they are in uh, media, they are in your friend group, they are at your job, they might be your boss, uh, you know, they might be in your family, they're all around. And I don't say this to create a paranoia, I say this to create an awareness and, uh, and put the tools there that you can use so that you are not so easily taken advantage of. All right. So that all being sort of laid out here today, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to go over in our first episode. I want to thank you very much for coming around and listening to me gabber on about all of this. This is the, uh, like I said, we will be doing a lot of this kind of work. You are going to see interviews. You are going to see uh, sort of, you know, breakdowns of individual principles that I've covered here, uh, you know, sort of broadly today. Uh, And you're going to hear an awful lot on this podcast about cult recovery. And that just as much applies to domestic relationship recovery, uh, gang recovery, societal recovery. You know, we live in very divided times right now. We live in very contentious times. Uh, As they say, uh, you know, may you live in interesting times. Well, this has been some of the most interesting of times over the last many years. And the principles that I'm laying out here are, are being laid out for cult survivors and for those of you out there who are interested in this topic. But I want to be clear that every single thing that I'm doing here is all about trying to help people in the big wide world beyond just the cult space. Um, and because the cult space can be limiting and it can be constricting if you think that cults are groups of crazy people who are weak-willed and who are gullible and who are just a bunch of morons in the first place, and that's all that cults are. And if that's the view you have of cults after after breaking all this down, I, you know, I just have to say that you're wrong. That's not what cults are about at all. Cults are about you and me and thee. They are about all of us and how any one of us can become too dedicated too enmeshed, too loyal to a cause where we lose all sense of perspective and proportion. And by doing that, we lose our sense of self. We lose our, 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 the, the social connections that we have, the people who, who love us, who care about us, and we lose ourself. 
really, in the end. We become so much part of a group or so much part of a relationship that we cease to exist. The only utility that we think we have is whatever service or good we are providing to the group. And individual human beings are a lot more than the service they can provide to a group. So in the end, that's what this whole podcast and this whole channel is about, is restoring our individual selves to ourselves. And I hope that that'll make some sense. Thank you very much again for coming around, and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.